Hello, awesome marketer. Let me ask you a question before we start today's episode. Are you looking to plan your content calendar more efficiently, save time across your team, and publish social content like a pro? If so, you're in luck, because Planable allows you to do this and much more. Planable is the content collaboration tool that makes it easy for marketing teams to preview, plan, approve, and publish social media content six times faster for Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, Google My Business, and TikTok, all in one place. So go to planable.io slash old school to find out more. Our podcast listeners will get 30% off for three months by using the coupon code old school after choosing the plan that fits your needs. Once again, go to www.planable.io slash old school and get 30% off for three months by using the coupon old school at checkout. I cannot wait to see you breezing through your content and your plan like a pro. Welcome to Alt Marketing School. We are proudly bringing together a new wave of marketers, just like yourself. We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly, empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. Hello team, Fab here from Alt Marketing School. I'm wondering whether you ever asked yourself this question. How can purpose fuel my performance? Well, in this special interview with Vanessa, one half of the couple of authors from the Performance Curve, I was thinking about how to call it, but they're literally what they are. She's one of the co-authors of the Performance Curve. She's going to be talking to us about that and how to find purpose in the day-to-day. Today with Vanessa, we're really talking about maximizing your potential at work while strengthening your well-being. We're talking about habits, self-awareness, and even self-management and why it matters. So there's going to be a lot for you to take in and a lot for you to learn. In case you're wondering, what are we going to be talking about today again? What is this performance curve? Well, let me tell a bit more about Vanessa and her background. Vanessa will bring to us her unique insights from a blend of corporate experience, coaching, and teaching breathwork and yoga. She started her career with Boston Consulting Group and for the past 20 years has been working with leaders all over the world on their individual and organizational performance and well-being. She has trained in a range of personal and group development techniques and recently co-authored The Performance Curve, which combines everything together. And if you're still a bit confused, the actual tagline for the performance curve is maximize your potential at work while strengthening your well-being. And I feel this really represents what the book is about and what even this conversation is about. I can tell you you're going to love the book because I read it. So go and get a copy for yourself, but not before listening to this conversation. And this couldn't come at a better time because in the all marketing certification with our students, we're now covering the last few steps before they're graduating, which means we're really talking about setting systems and maximizing their productivity. So all in all, I think it's a very good time to be talking about performance, how to maximize your potential at work 
and everything in between. I hope you're going to love this chat and you're definitely going to get excited to find out more about the performance curve. In the meantime, as always, may today's class begin. Hello team and welcome back to Alt Marketing School. I was almost going to sing Vanessa, but then I decided not to. Uh, sometimes I do sing moments in the in the podcast and the dear listener by now knows so it has decided that's kind of the way it goes but but I mean I feel we're talking about performance we're talking about performance curve so I really feel like I want to bring that that energy in uh how are you doing as as I'm bringing this performance energy into my life today Thank you. I'm I'm doing well. I got a bit of a sniffle fair, but that is life as well. And it goes into the heart of actually what we're talking about in the performance curve is really how to help ourselves bring our best in the moment and grow it over time, regardless of what that might be in the moment, because we're all human. We're not machines. And how to really work with our humanity and how we're showing up and making the best of that, that is um, at the heart of the book. And the work that that I do and do together with my colleague Laura, who's also my co-author on the book. Well, I'm going to ask you about that then first. I'm going to start with two icebreaker questions, and the first one goes about your work, but not in the way that you already think. I'm going to ask because that would be easy. I'm actually going to ask you if you weren't doing the exact job that you're doing today, if you weren't doing what you're doing today, what would you be doing instead? So what would it be another, I'm not going to call it the plan B, let's say the pl- the plan, the plan Z, you know, something that you'll be like, oh, well, if I could, that's what I would do instead. Is there anything else you would have loved to do? Well, it's funny you mentioned you sometimes start singing. I, my plan Z would be to be an opera singer. <laughs> just that full emotion, the drama on stage, just giving yourself entirely over to the music and the expression of, of feelings that, is something that I'd quite like to be. I, I don't have the talent for it in this life, but that's probably what would my, my, my plan Z would be um, to be an opera singer. I think that would be fantastic. It would be brilliant. I was actually going to ask you if, if you were going to like show us that you had a little hidden talent and you were going to kind of crack down and give us a bit of a performance. But <laughs> Sadly not, no. <laughs> but maybe fortunately so for our listeners. <laughs> okay, just basically not today, but that's cool. <laughs> um, now, a bit more of a serious question. And I would love to hear, and this is one of my favorite, and I want to adapt it to what we're going to talk about today. And I think it's one of our passions. I love to talk about habits, performance, productivity you know working better a lot as well so I'm going to ask you a tricky one what is the biggest piece of advice about let's say other productivity or performance that goes out there that you disagree with and why so I'd go for work hard play hard and the reason I'd say is not because playing isn't important. It's massively important. That sense of play, going back to actually what really excited us as children, that sense of innocence and creativity and spontaneity, these are all really, really important. So play needs to be big, but it's the hard that I'm objecting to because I'm finding very little in in being high-performing, being creative and living a life that is really well-lived is about being hard. So 
I love Bernadette Brown on this and her work on vulnerability, etc., and how she says that that it's the vulnerability that is the birthplace of all creativity, of new things, etc. And we need to be soft for that. And it, it's really, it might be very uncomfortable, that softness and feel vulnerable. But without that, I think my experience is we just have no chance to really reach our potential and move beyond it as well. There's, there's a necessity for being vulnerable, for being soft in order to bring something new into the world, to go th move through our limits, whether they're just beliefs or physical limits or emotional limits. Um, and we need softness for that. And it's through a balance of that, that actually we really come to, um, I think to, to inhabit ourselves as human beings and what we can do and achieve in life. So hardness contracts it all in if it's just too hard. So we need a softness as well. So I would say it's, it's much more about working smartly than playing without abandon and then also taking rest when we need it. I love that because, I mean, to be honest, for me, I didn't even think about it that way. I always have felt a bit skeptical about, there's a lot of, um, let's say, hustling sort of uh, terms or really catchphrases that I don't gel with too well, but this is one of the ones. And I never really thought about it in this perspective about actually, it's not just about the idea of like just the pushing, it's actually the idea of the, the hardness, the analogy that we have. We kind of, and it does feel a bit like pushing, like kind of going against, it's almost like going against how you feel in the moment. We were talking about right before our fair with the sniffles and, you know, you were like, well, maybe I'm working at 80%, but I'm going to embrace it that way. And I think even if I am reading the book and I'm almost there and I think it's excellent, but also I, I loved it even more because I was embracing it with the knowledge that it wasn't going to tell me how to, you know, be faster, better, stronger. It was really about helping me understand how to kind of create what the balance that I needed need was for me. And I think any professional, even entrepreneurs, we're getting down to understanding that regardless of the job that you do. But I think because of society and the culture that we've had has been really like gearing up towards another direction. Softness is never seen as a massive strength. And I love that you actually reframed it for us and gave us that, that image of softness as a little super powerful shield. Yeah, great. And I, I personally had to learn it the hard way and I'm still learning because I still have a habit of pushing through all that kind of hustle when I'm in the face of a challenge rather than the softening. But I've really come to to learn also through burnout in my late 20s that that hard way is actually not the, the smartest or most productive way. It doesn't get the best results and it doesn't really help my well-being or general life satisfaction either. So it, it seems to be a collective development we are seeing there as well. Like you're saying, we're, we're starting to see in many entrepreneurs that really driving yourself so hard into the ground is not paying off. And I love the fact that this goes back into some of the other elements that you touch in the book that I personally believe in, but I know that maybe I'm not so common to see or to hear about or to engage with. And to me was one of the, my favorite things was actually a very deep connection that you have in the book between purpose and how we can fuel our performance. And I feel, again, now it's becoming a conversation that a lot more people are having. So well done, peeps. But still, a lot of us maybe wouldn't put it at the forefront of, you know, how can I actually embrace a better performance and not burn out and and etc. And then you're like, actually, purpose can become such a key piece. So can you tell us a bit more about how can purpose fuel our performance? Yeah, it's it's really massive. It's probably one um, one of the biggest elements that that we've we've come across. Um, and then 
the important thing is to also be able to put into practice. And I hope we'll come and talk about that too. But, but just starting off with, with what purpose actually is, it's that North Star that really guides our actions, that gives us a deeper reason for why we're doing something. And fundamentally, it, it really helps our performance and our well-being in, in, in two ways. So firstly, it really increases our motivation. If we know that what we're doing, even if it's doing our taxes, it serves a bigger purpose that is more rewarding to us. It can be a lot less painful. We might never enjoy doing our taxes, but we might feel quite different about it. And then it's easier to actually get it done. We do it more quickly. We don't procrastinate. So having a deeper purpose can really help us with, with more motivation. But fundamentally, it also really helps our brain be in what we call explore mode. And in this explore mode, it's really that our brain is firing on all its cylinders to pursue opportunities or rewards. And that means our prefrontal cortex can work much, um, much better and unimpeded to do complex work like reasoning, problem solving, creating options, empathizing with other people, thinking through decisions, coming up with ideas. So our intuition and creativity are much better at work as well. And that really increases what we can do in the moment because our brain is working well. So that's a very tangible benefit of, of purpose to help us be more in this explore mode, which contrasts with what we call protect mode. And that's our fight, flight or freeze survival response. And we can picture protect mode a bit like an autopilot that has just a limited range of emergency functions. So all this complex manipulation work and empathizing, et cetera, is much, much harder or impossible if we are in, in protect mode. And that's great when we're facing a physical danger, like the jungle, the tiger in the jungle example. But it does reduce the activity in those parts of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, where we need to, that we need to really bring our best to a problem at hand. And that can really erode that functioning of our minds and our well-being and, and body longer term as well. So not just in the moment, say, I mean, we've got so many problems facing the world, we can go quite big in this, but also specific challenges we might have in terms of how to, um, how to do a marketing campaign or how to come up with a new product or to design it or move through some technical challenges. When we're responding to that challenge from a place of um, threat or crisis, and our brain gets triggered into this protect mode, we're actually not bringing our best problem-solving capacity to the challenge at, at hand. So having a deeper sense of purpose and that motivation can help our brain be more in explore mode because we know that solving this technical issue is going to help us bring something really exciting maybe to other people if that is what gives us a sense of purpose, you know, and like the work you're doing in terms of helping people uh, with the marketing skills in order to take their business out into the world and, and, and share what excites them and, and, and do something for good. So, so that's where purpose can really help our brains in, in a motivational sense to get move through challenges. And then the second part I'd, I'd mention is that it has a filtering function. When, when we're clear on what really matters to us and why we're doing something, we pay attention to it much more. Our brain is already then looking out for how can I move in that desired direction? We also are much more likely to notice our progress. <laughs> so away from the it's never good enough and therefore feel more motivated. So the small steps become more rewarding. And then we're really in a much more powerful position to not focus on what we can't do, but what we can do. How can I move towards this? How can I maybe reach out to some people for help? What are the skills I'm, I'm lacking in order to take this next step? How can I get these? So purpose helps us um, focus on, on what 
will get us to our destination and our goals. Um, so it's, it's much more empowering and helps us also shift from a sense of having to do things or should, we should be doing things that great should to, well, what do I really want to do? And that has a, uh, makes, makes a big difference as well. So there are plenty of reasons why purpose matters. Should we get a bit more into practically how to get a sense of purpose if we have no idea what purpose might be about? Mm-hmm. I was actually going to ask you, I was actually going to dive a bit deeper into, maybe it relates to the practicalities, but I was wondering what if someone, and I think most of our listeners might not have this issue, but what if someone is still trying to understand their purpose? What if somebody is still trying to understand how their purpose aligns, whether it's with a company or their brand or whether their, pers- their purpose at work is separate from the purpose in life. This is a bit of a bigger question, but I feel it might be related to some of the practicalities and the examples you're going to bring to us. Yeah, that's a great question. How do we even know what could give us a sense of purpose? And there are different, different routes here. And first up, I want to say it doesn't need to be a grand, this is the purpose of my life or save the world kind of purpose. It can be something quite small that gives a deeper meaning to you. For example, even that you could do when you're doing the dishes or taking a dog for a walk and you're struggling to do something. So ask that question, what would make it more meaningful for me to do this activity? Um, with How would I want to be doing it to create meaning? Or if I have a meeting with somebody beyond the content that is for discussion, how do I want this person to feel in the meeting? How, what kind of relationship do I want to build longer term beyond one single meeting. Um, so it can be really quite small to start with and building on really our, our self-awareness and, and journaling is great for building that around what is it that really lights us up? What gives us that sense of fulfillment or has a sense of being rewarding? So maybe go back to a time that you experienced a great joy of doing something. And then unpick that situation. What were you doing? Who were you with? And where were you? And what were you feeling? Where in your body to really connect back with that? And then ask yourself some questions around what it was about that experience that really lit you up. What was special about it? Um, was it a sense of connection and really sharing authentically? Or was it about maybe um, something to do with nature? And just the, the relaxation you feel in nature or something green or in, and that can link to, to your business experiences. You can go through your day at work and, and pick those things that give you a greater sense of intrinsic joy or reward. Not everything is going to be fun when we're working, but a sense of satisfaction. And then just drilling down in that and really identifying what it is about that experience that may be bigger than yourself, that has, speaks more to your values, your sense of passion, so there is a bit of turning detective on yourself to identify that, but we can start really small, like the examples I gave, we can start really small to build a greater sense of purpose into our day-to-day, and then often it snowballs into maybe something bigger where you can think about, okay, as a brand, as a business, what is that purpose about? But I'd say for, if your personal sense of purpose is too far away from what a brand or work stands for, there's a misalignment and to really feel a sense of purpose in life and, and have that kind of fuel and have that fuel your performance as well, you need to bring the two to match. And you hit the nail on the head there. 
I find that that's one of the biggest challenges that some of us might face and is that disconnect. And uh, before we jump into habits, which is another very, very common topic that people love to talk about, I want to say from my perspective, something that we do as well, I, I do it in one of my programs with my other company, Creative Impact, which is more for the entrepreneurs mainly. And obviously a lot of them, if you are a founder or an entrepreneur, you probably identify a lot of your purpose with your brand and it comes really from you more than other people in the team. And um, when I work with some of these people and we go through some of these processes together, I ask them to take stock and to be able to see and 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 have in front of them their values, both from a personal and a professional perspective. And it's good to see if there's any misalignments or if everything is aligned. And not everything is going to overlap, but I find that if there's a big clash between like a personal value and a professional value, I'm going to give one brief example. Uh, freedom is a big value when it comes to your personal life. And then when it comes to your professional life, you decide that you're going to, let's say, I don't know, that you're going to help 50 clients one-to-one and that's going to be your strategy. So you really want to be of service. It's okay to have that, but you also need to remember that you are seeking that freedom. So here's that choice actually make you feel free and make you feel like you are flowing through your business. This is a very basic example, but there's so many different things that you can find. So again, I can definitely see how that simple like reminder of how are how is your purpose aligning and reflecting for the different areas of your life is a bit of an exercise in itself and I think is a bit of self-reflection. But I feel a lot about the performance curve, the book, and obviously what will you uh, share as well is about having the element of self-reflection before you can take the action. We talked about the practical, but I think there's a lot of um, understanding the next steps first within. And as you say, the mindset piece, I think is really important, but we do like practical things, don't we? We do like to do the things, but not really to reflect as much, don't we? (laughs) Yeah, it can be, I don't know why really. I mean, personally, I find sometimes it, it can be a little bit harder. I like to have the answers straight away. And some of these deeper Um, questions about ourselves they uh, take a bit more effort or or time there might not be answers straight away and over the course of our lives things also change and when we are suppose we we all react differently to things like uncertainty or change or complexity but finding out how we're relating to them is really helpful to help us actually do this deeper in our work because absolutely like you're saying to actually pause and turn inwards is fundamental to really living a life um, that is well lived for us and achieve a sense of performance and that's what we really mean by life well lived and and performance on the performance curve where we have effectiveness and well-being so that we really have the impact we want to have in the world whatever that looks like and also the well-being be that physical health or feeling good or having deep strong relationships life satisfaction etc so un- unless we really go into our inner worlds and how we give meaning to to what we see how we decide to take direction how we react emotionally and how we act and behave and and where that comes from i think without that we we kind of run risk of really just functioning on autopilot um and, until sometimes the course correction hits like in my case a burnout or sometimes another um, for other people, it looks different, a, a bit of a wake-up call. Say, why am I doing those things in life? Why am I um, driving myself to the ground? Why am I in a job that I'm not really enjoying? Um, or why am I working myself to the ground in, in my business and it's not really paying off? And, and then we can stop and ask some really interesting questions and 
come to some really interesting answers as well. Then I'm going to jump into the practical again. I love this. And again, asking questions is one of my favorite things anyway, because I think, as you say, is that self-reflection and being able to see the patterns. But now we're going to go into the practical again, just a touch. And I would love you to introduce us to another big concept and also, like I said, a big chapter in the book, which is all about the habits. So it's all about the performance curve habits. Can you just give us a bit of an idea of what they are, especially if people haven't read the book yet? And dear listener, go and get your copy, but we're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So performance curve habits are um, habits that really help us increase our effectiveness and our well-being. So they're habits that build two fundamental skills we need for in order to be effective and feel good doing it. And that's self-awareness. We covered that a little bit. Self-awareness of actually what is happening inside me. And then self-management. So our ability to then make choices that actually bring our best and grow our best, that help us learn, that make us effective and, and also support our well-being. Um, so that's the purpose of the performance curve habits that they really help fuel, fuel our well-being and the effectiveness we, we bring day to day. Now, a lot of talk has been around for the last few years around mindfulness and the benefits of mindfulness and doing exactly that, helping our focus, but also having a lot of well-being benefits. But what we found is that some people actually really struggle. Now, I love different mindfulness practices and meditation, but it does not work for everyone. So what we discovered is actually there's a, a more systematic way we can access these foundational skills of self-awareness and self-management. It doesn't just need to be mindfulness and to lay these out systematically in different what we call channels to really, um, as a channel to access our inner world, what we call our inner operating system. So what we described around how we make meaning and decide how to act and behave and all those things. And we describe five channels that really work with our minds and our bodies and give us these different access routes. They're the head, and that's more around mindsets, also a sense of purpose. So where we're thinking about how am I approaching something? What assumptions or beliefs am I making that are fueling my, my emotions and my decisions and how I'm acting and really knowing how to work with that and identify them. So that, that would be the head category. Then there's the heart. So working directly with our emotions and knowing how to actually elicit emotions that are more supportive of what we want to do. So a gratitude practice might sit in here or simply the labeling how we're feeling in a moment without trying to change it has a settling effect for our brains. There's really a lot of research, actually, we were surprised at how much research there was just in that, in the labeling and naming how we're feeling and the benefits it, it brings to our, our brain. Then our hands is the third channel of doing things or making things with our hands and drawing that taps into giving us fresh perspectives again by doing something using our bodies can create a different perspective by making it, seeing it in front of ourselves, coloring books, a lot of creative endeavors sit in here. And then the last two categories are the, the body. So moving the body physically, different forms of movement, especially rhythmical movements, but also different practices that help us uh, sustain our physical health, like sleep, um, spending time in nature is a big one here. And then finally, the breath. So deliberate breathing is like a remote control for our brain and also taps into this mind-body feedback loop um, that we can then use to, to help ourselves reset when under pressure, for example. And, and these four categories give a bit more of a 
a menu of five category channels, give more of a menu to people to broaden out their existing repertoires. We find often people already do something that they know helps them build a good baseline of effectiveness and well-being. But sometimes they might be missing something or they can tap into a bit more that helps them do so even even more. And uh, we'd say definitely have some of those habits that you do regularly. Um, and the, for example, the, the people we interviewed also for the book, we were surprised how every single one of them had specific performance curve habits. They were really relying on regularly and at times of pressure double down even more to do them so that when they really needed to they're more automatically built into their system already so this is all about knowing how to bring our best when under pressure but also building a baseline that even when there isn't a crisis that that we know sustains us settles our nervous system and helps our brain really be in this explore mode so that we can bring our best I love that you talked about the channels and you brought them up. And I was actually going to ask you about about them. If you would speculate, especially from, I guess, the interviews as well that you had and the people that you talked to, could you maybe identify or guess which one would be one of the channels that you think marketers and professionals actually struggle with the most when it comes to building, or as you say, you know, going back to their habits and really making them like second nature is the one channel that you feel is the one that we need to pay attention to a bit more. Yeah, so maybe I, I've got to be a bit careful here with my stereotypes and prejudices. So if you find it doesn't apply to you, you know, a bit of a disclaimer, then people obviously be different. But probably with, I find when I'm working a lot in, in an idea space, as is the case for marketeers, right? More an idea space, more working mentally with creativity, I can get a sense of getting disconnected a bit from my for my body or how I'm really feeling in the body. And then suddenly I feel like I'm just a, a head on sticks and that I might not be noticing how I'm not breathing deeply enough anymore. And that actually is putting pressure then on my brain and is not keeping my energy levels topped up. Um, a really simple example here actually I found is, is when I started working standing up rather than just sitting down, I had a lot more energy just because but the posture was better. So our what we do in our bodies and our breathing has a major impact on also our mental freshness and the ideas we can bring. And if you're working a lot mentally, then it can be really helpful to do something that sits more in the body channel or the breathing channel, just to balance that out. So should we do a little body exercise so that people get something specific to actually do, and then they can try it out and just see how it feels. And that's really the, the core recommendation is tr try out different things. Um, also something that might not be our typical go-to that could be especially rewarding and then just do it a few times and see how it feels to you so be your own judge of this and if it doesn't work for you that's fine try something else so there's also no prescriptive you've got to do this and then you'll be a supermarketeer or do that so so let's do a body scan and you can do this sitting down or standing up you can even do it walking if you're a bit more familiar with it already and it's really super simple you just you can close your eyes if you want to, or you can keep them open and just let your gaze settle on a point in front of you. And then you start bringing your attention to the top of your head. And simply move down, taking maybe about 10 seconds from your head down to your shoulders, your neck, and you just build a mental map of how your body is feeling. You're not trying to change anything, just really observing where might be areas of tension or openness, where does it feel relaxed, and then you gradually move down from your chest down to your stomach, your hips, legs, 
knees down to your feet. And then you do the same thing again, but move a bit more slowly and you pick up more detail. Where does your body feel cold or hot maybe? And again, not try and change anything, but moving more slowly, more granular, building this map. So you take more time from top of your head, your forehead, your cheeks, your throat, your neck, shoulders, elbows, hands, and your upper chest, upper back, your middle, your hips, and your thighs, front and back, your knees, your lower legs, and then your feet, your toes, the sole of your feet. And now go a third time, and even slower. I won't talk you through now, so really move at your own pace. And just pick up any details, any small things, building that inner map, moving from the top down until you reach your feet. And then really feel the soles of your feet on the ground or where your body is connecting with something solid if you're sitting. Just take a deep breath here into your belly. And notice how you're feeling now. Sleepy. How are you feeling now? <laughs> Sleepy. No, it's good. So what did you notice doing a bit of a body scan? Body scan. Um, I felt I felt sleepy. I'll explain why. Because usually when I do podcasts, I stand up. And so that is kind of like to keep the energy going and to keep me on and like to make sure that I, I, I give my best. And so just slowing when usually my podcast mode is quite active, it really kind of stopped me to my tracks. And I was like, oh, yeah. So for me, it was quite restorative because of that, because of where I was. And I think for some people, I feel actually a bit more like clarity, but like this specific one, because I was standing up and I was moving around as you were talking and I was listening and then everything just paused. So yeah, it was quite quite restorative on my side. Restorative, yeah. It helps us come down and regulate our nervous system of just being present to something physical like our body and taking that time to to tune in. And we, we might feel different things doing a body scan. So if our listeners had very different experiences, that's totally normal because we're all feeling different things at different times. Um, so it's, it's with all these practices or habits, I'd also be cautious to say this is what a particular practice does and what the outcome is or needs to be there are certain things yes that one could generalize a little bit but ultimately it's always a sense of connecting with ourselves and how we're feeling and it might expose an underlying tiredness or just slow down our nervous system a bit and get us more into the rest and recovery mode like you're saying oh and then that actually feels more restorative and gives you a little pickup so that's where it's important to try these things for ourselves and see what are the kind of situations in which I want to draw on this that would really help and support me? Um, a body scan can be great, for example, to set yourself up for the day or at the end of the day to help you wind down. Um, or maybe after midday when you're saying, oh, I'm a bit tired and just get a sense of grounding or finding the mind is going so quickly and fast and, and help settle down and center a bit more. With this new restored energy... <laughs> I'm going to ask you, where one, do we go now? Yeah. I'm going to ask you one more, restore, I'm going to say there was restored again. One more restored question. Uh, one question that comes from one element that really stuck to me when I was reading the book, 
which is um, something that a lot of us tend to associate with habits. And we know that there's a benefit within actually setting up things like rewards. And, you know, I think it's important for us to understand how and why some of us choose to set rewards when it comes to setting habits and the impact that these rewards can have as we are creating new practices for ourselves and, and, you know, and setting new habits that can help us, especially professionally. Yeah. So rewards are a great way to help us embed a habit. And when we're talking about habits, actually, it's perhaps helpful to say that our brain decides or, or, or we take action based in two different ways. So one is deliberate thinking and, and willpower. And the other one is through automation, which is what we call habits. So things we do repeatedly, and it's a different part of our brain, the basal ganglia that is involved in doing that, like brushing our teeth. It takes very little deliberate effort. Oh, am I really going to brush my teeth this morning or before going to bed? We've done it so many times and it's just this automatic part of our brain that takes over and we brush our teeth because we're so associated with getting up or going to bed or whatever. And that's a really powerful feature of our brain that we can then also use for other things. And one of the ways that something we do repeatedly gets embedded like that as a habit is through rewards. Because it's saying, oh, this is something I like doing. It helps actually encode and, and embed it. And now there's a few things that are important to know um, how to reward ourselves to, to make that even more powerful. So, and, and maybe if you... Do you have a specific habit you you want to use as an example to embed that a bit more and we can we can talk through the rewards for that um that could actually be quite interesting if we have a couple of examples on that note okay so i mean let's we, we just did a body scan right so maybe it's someone who says i'd like to do a body scan more regularly or if it's not a body scan maybe someone wants to do more mindfulness or have a yeah let's say that so a regular practice maybe five minutes or just taking a few minutes every day for yourself to just settle down now what could be a reward for that so something that is important is that to know is that intrinsic rewards are actually more powerful than extrinsic so that means how I feel doing it and it feels good to me internally without somebody patting me on the back or getting something external so identifying what that might be is to make it more rewarding itself to do the activity is one aspect. So if you're saying, oh, okay, it's a bit, I'm struggling a bit to just sit myself down and then do the body scan and not just get distracted by other things. How do I make it intrinsically rewarding? Well, maybe I can attach it to um, something I really like, like having a nice cup of coffee. So I do the body scan first and then I have a nice cup of coffee and that's something I quite enjoy doing. So it's a, it's a treat, right? Um, and something that is linked to more intrinsic sense of motivation. Um, or you could do it in a place that is really nice to you. So next to your favorite plant, for example. So you're attaching it to um, a place where you like being. The other thing about rewards is that if it's a surprise, it's even better because the brain is not expecting it. When the brain is expecting something regular, then it comes to expect it and therefore the dopamine that gets released. So that's one of the neurochemicals that give us a sense of reward can also be decreased over time or not be as high. So if there's a surprise, ooh, today when I do my body scan, I'm actually going to reward myself um, in, in a way that could be surprising to us. So not just my favorite coffee, but I'm going to give myself extra chocolate sprinkles could be a bigger surprise. So something you're not you don't do every time. 
so it's so be linking an action to a sense of reward um some other examples might be for that if say you want to go running but you find running really boring but you love listening to music so you 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 go running while listening to music or you can also use a sense of internal benefit to reframe the benefit of running so you're saying oh it's boring then focus on what you enjoy about the activity so maybe a sense of aliveness and while running focus on that so you're getting out of the boring frame and into what could be intrinsically rewarding there just from the running itself you brought coffee in which mm -hmm. for, for the for the previous example and it's genuinely how i reward myself for my morning meditation <laughs> that's literally what i do and it, and it, and it's interesting how and also i do journaling and that it's less not necessarily of a of something that I need to motivate myself to do. But it's another thing that I do. And now this this little trio of magic of the meditation, the coffee and the journaling, because they all happen together. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, it kind of feels, as you say, more natural and easier. And I love the idea of having little extra surprises for ourselves. And again, just to give you one more example of that, once a week I get myself a fancy coffee out at the coffee shop. Usually I make it at home. I have enough devices to make coffees. But uh, yeah, once a week I do that just to be like, okay, the week is gone. Well done us. A high five to myself and off you go. And I think it's very important to remember these things. And um, as you say, it's almost like helping ourselves because I think there's, you know, some days we will have the motivation. Some days we'll need to help ourselves with that. And it's really important to understand the little things that we can do to make that happen. So thank you for that. Oh, pleasure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, sounds like you're already building some really strong habits there. It's fantastic to hear. Yeah. Let's wrap it up and let's remind people one more time where they can find out more about the performance cut. If they want to find out more about the book, remind us where to go. If we have any questions, if you want to find out more, please, Vanessa, tell us all. So we've got a website for the book and that's where you can also get in touch with me or my co-author, Laura Watkins. And that is www.performancecurvebook.com. We love to hear from readers or any questions, feedback, good or bad. We're lifelong learners ourselves. And it really is, is thrilling to see what we can do better as well. So we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com find out more about the topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spend the love on Instagram at Alt Marketing School. Until next time.